You are listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. Turn to this passage of scriptures, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, turn there on your phone Bible or your paper Bible or the paper Bible that we have on the table for you to use. Uh, We encourage you to turn in your own text uh, as we look at passages of Scripture to get you in that habit uh, of doing that when you're not at church. Because if we just put the Scripture on the screen all the time, well then uh, we're missing out on that training opportunity for you. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. And this is a passage about uh, sexuality, and we are uh, talking about sex and the Bible or sexuality and the Bible all this month, starting today. And so it says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting at verse 12, um, says this, it says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. And he gives this analogy about food. Food is meant for the stomach and stomach for food, but God will destroy both, one and the other. And he says this, uh, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise up uh, by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take a member of Christ and make them members uh, with a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, and this goes back to the Genesis passage we'll look at today, the two will become one flesh. So this is a, it's a pretty powerful passage about uh, sexual immorality, that the body is not made for that, and this idea of becoming one flesh. The two will become one flesh, and we'll look at that today. So just kind of opening some cans of worms here to talk about sexuality in the Bible, but a very important scripture to start with. So let's pray this morning. Jesus, we do come before you as, as your servants, as people who are uh, open to you, open to our creator, who you are and what you're doing in our lives. Lord, as the Mill Sunday School, would you instruct us and teach us this morning through your word, through who you are, about sexuality, allow us to to praise you with everything that we are. Our bodies are yours, a temple for you. And so, Lord, we we praise you, we love you, we worship you, and everybody screamed, Amen. amen. So let me start off with a story. It's really more of a sermon illustration. It's not mine, um, but it has to do with, uh, it's called, um, I guess it's a true story. It's, it's called uh, Who Wants the Rose or Jesus Wants the Rose. And this pastor tells this story of when he was in college. He was a college freshman and uh, another person as a college freshman uh, was an older uh, woman, she, not that much older, 26, but she was a single mom. And him and his friends were witnessing and loving on this mom and sharing the truth of Jesus to this uh, single mom and uh, watching the kid and um, just sharing the love of Christ. She was interested in Christianity, but she wasn't a Christian. She um, was just willing to come to different things. And so they invited her uh, to this, I guess, some sort of a youth rally where there was worship. And then the, the, the pastor that morning, or that night, I guess, the pastor, the youth pastor, gave um, a talk about sex. And it was very, like, very judgmental. Um, and he started off with uh, this rose. And so he had this beautiful rose and he smelled it and he said, oh, it smells so good. Look at this rose. Look at the beauty. This is like your sexual purity. 
smell it, it's so good. And he threw it out into the audience and said, everyone, you need to smell this. Pass it around. And so this rose, there's like a thousand people there. This rose gets passed around by, by everyone smelling it. And as you can imagine, the rose is getting tattered as it goes around. And this guy, this guy was talking about, uh, you know, showing, maybe showing slides of syphilis. And he's like, everyone's laughing and joking and having fun until herpes. And then he's showing a picture of these... Uh, <laughs> A very youth kind of talk to scare the heck out of kids, scare them out of having sex, um, and to, to, to preach just, and sometimes maybe that's what you need to hear. But on that night, this guy who had just brought this girl who's very open to hearing the gospel was just becoming embarrassed and mad and, and infuriated by, by how the, the youth pastor was going about teaching about sexuality. And he kept talking about you know, this judgment and how wrong it is. And he says, okay, where's my rose? I want my rose back. Bring that rose up here. And so it got passed all the way back. And here's this rose, tattered, uh, with it, cracked in half, missing petals. And he says, now who would want this rose? And it's just this, oh, this like, and he, him sitting next to this young lady, he just was, was mad and infuriated that, like, that, that here she is coming to church and just hearing about judgment and like, oh, who would want this horrible thing? And this was your purity, but now who would want it? And everything inside of him wanted to scream out, Jesus. Jesus wants the rose. Jesus makes all things new. He became sin for us so that we uh, might be filled up in him, might be covered, that he might take our shame. And I think this month as we start out sexuality and and the Bible, I wanted to, to, to say that. And so if we if I ever become cavalier in talking this month about sexuality or the judgment of God because of sexuality or saying that like some sexual sin is, is, is unforgivable, don't, I'm not saying that. I wanted to begin with this idea that, that God wants our brokenness. God wants our bodies. God wants our shame to be put upon him. God wants our sexuality. And if, if you're here this morning or you come this month and you, and you hear judgment from me, that is not the case. Um, God is the judge, not me, and and I am preaching a message. We're going to speak the truth today, and that may, may be for some of us uh, kind of hard to hear, or like, wow, I didn't know that was you know God does care about our sexuality. I didn't know that that was wrong. I, I didn't know. Um, so we're going to speak the truth, but I wanted to speak it in love and, and this beginning reminder of God wants our shame and he wants our bodies and he does cover us from sin and he makes us white as snow. So that's that. Welcome to the Mill Sunday School. But anyways, enough of uh, me chatting for just a second to give you an opportunity to chat with the people at your tables. Um, here's a discussion question, and it's really more of like, a, we're not going to do Q&A today, but I thought um, I would love to know to have my finger figuratively on the pulse of where people are at. I thought it would be really good to just get some ideas of maybe questions issues that are relevant to sexuality and the Bible. What is on your mind? So in, in your groups, 
um, this. List some relevant issues or questions that you would like to hear covered this month concerning sexuality and the Bible. So on your uh, tables there, there's a three by five card. And so as a group, you could come up with one or two questions. And then if you're like, well, I have a question as well um, that I don't, that I, I don't really want to tell people about or ask people about is to have the question. Uh, you could do, you could, there's enough, should, should be enough cards on their table to do a couple questions for the group and maybe one question or, or two for, for yourself. So do that. Discuss that. Write some things down. If you're at a small table, jump in with a, with a larger table. They would love to hear from you. And so do that. Ready? Get set. Discuss. All right. Uh, I guess if uh, a couple of our leaders would stand up and collect the cards, walk around and grab them. And, and by the way, if you're still filling out a card, that's fine. You could leave it on the table. You could bring it up to me afterwards. We're, we're really not going to look at these right now. Uh, sometimes we do that. We, we collect questions and on the fly do Q&A, um, but that's, that's for another time. So we'll collect the questions. And then just, I'm going to use these this, all this month to make sure we talk about some of the things that are on these cards to get a pulse of some of the questions you guys and gals are asking. Thank you, Aaron. So I'll, I'll just make a pile right here. And, and so after Sunday school, if you want to come and put them here, or if they're still coming in, you can put them there. Um, but I want to ask this question. I, want, I have a question to ask, and it's a question that, that maybe you have asked. It's a question that I don't just want to assume the answer to. It's a question that if you've grown up in the church, uh, you have an answer. And if you have the answer, and it's like, oh, well, well duh, it just is the way it is. And, and so it, it, here's the question. I'm kind of rambling. Um, <clears throat> is sex before marriage wrong? And so... I want to, at least for today, um, at least for, not for the whole time, we have uh, about a half hour left, um, I want to first just kind of come to this question as the devil's advocate and say, where does it say in the Bible? Maybe you've heard people, maybe you've asked yourself, like, where, where does it really say in the Bible that sex before marriage is wrong? Let's look at this question. Let's define the terms. Let's ask the question in different ways. We might ask, well, is the, is, if it is wrong, well, then are there circumstances where it wouldn't be wrong? Well, what about this? What about that? What if we, what if we really love each other? What if we're engaged? What if we're uh, going to get married? What if uh, this? What if that? Um, are there circumstances where this, this question could be asked or posed in a different way? So that's where we're going, and, and, and I am going to play the devil's advocate a little bit and, and kind of try to define this question and come to this question, um, at least at the beginning here, as if we don't already have the answer. And so it's like, well, let's, let's prove it to ourselves. Let's uh, prove it, because this is a huge question for society. I, I um, was Googling this this week um, and being very careful how I Googled sexuality in the Bible. Um, we, we do have uh, internet filters and, and um, programs at our church that track which websites we go to. Um, so I was very careful and, and wanted to be careful for, my, for myself as well. Um, but I found some articles of people in society. So these are people that are not Christians. Uh, they're either psychologists or wannabe psychologists or self-proclaimed psychologists. Um, Non-Christians saying things like, well, well, sexuality before marriage, sex before marriage is actually a good thing. And so here's just to, to, to get you thinking along this line. Here's a non-Christian, a woman. Uh, her name, I guess her internet name is Cafe Mom, and she has a blog, kind of a self-proclaimed psychologist 
and, and giver of advice for whoever wants to listen. Um, I don't really hold her opinion that highly, but she said five reasons every, every couple should do it uh, before marriage. And she said, here's the five reasons. Uh, you should see if you have sexual chemistry. Uh, it was mainly an article for women. So women, you should see, you should make sure you have sex with your man before marriage to make sure he's not a homosexual. You should, number three, uh, make sure he's good in bed. Number four, uh, basically number four without getting, uh, uh, too graphic is to, you need, need to make sure what he looks like naked before you get married. You should, you know, you should try it out. Uh, and number five, what if, the, what if he has sexual problems like premature ejaculation or what if he has problems like the inability to get an erection? You need to know that before you get married. So here's this woman who's not a Christian just kind of throwing out, here's some advice for you. Here, you should, you should uh, follow this advice. Uh, if, you're, if you're not married, you should, you should try this out before you get married. So that's, that's a non-Christian approach to sex before marriage. One other one that I found, uh, <clears throat> this, this lady, a New York freelance writer, kind of a self-proclaimed psychologist, uh, an, an advice giver without, um, I don't know, for anyone who would listen, she, she wrote an article called My Virginity Mistake. And she says that she did remain a virgin till her wedding night. And she says in this article uh, that on her wedding night, it was a big flop. She did not enjoy the experience of her wedding night. And she got a urinary tract infection on her honeymoon. And her main advice was this. She said, all couples should have sex before they get married, married to see that it's really not that big of a deal. To see how disappointing it is before you get married. That was her thing. It's like, it's so di- it was so disappointing for me. I wish I had known how disappointing sex was before I got married. So those are two not really, I guess, Christian perspectives. These are two people just writing about and trying to give advice saying you should have sex before you get married. So let's look at the question again. Look at it. Is sex before marriage wrong? And so let's look at every word in this question. Let's define it. Let's kind of break it down. One of my gifts as a human being is I'm very literal. Um, (laughs) Some of you know that about me, and it's like to the point of like idiocy. Um, It's like, no, he's not talking literal, dummy. This is a figurative. Anyways, um, (laughs) is sex before marriage wrong? So let's look at every word. The word is and there's, there's a joke, uh, if you know a little bit of politics and going back a couple years, if you're old enough to remember Bill Clinton. Anybody remember Bill Clinton when he was... Okay, everybody. It wasn't that long ago. Um, but there was a scandal with him, with Monica Lewinsky and an impeachment trial. And he, there's this famous thing where he says, you know, like, our, you know, depends on what the definition of is, is. Does anybody remember that? And, and it was in relation to sex. And so, but it does... If we're breaking down this question and getting very literal, playing the devil's advocate and not coming to this question with a preformed answer, we'd say, well, what is the definition of is? It's the verb of being. It's present tense. But what about past tense? And so someone might say, "Um, well, we're planning to get married and then they get married. And so here's a married couple. And they might say, well, sex before our marriage wasn't wrong because we did end up getting married. So they could ask the question, was sex before marriage wrong? Or a future tense, uh, will sex be wrong before marriage? If, I don't know. So I'm defining it. So to define all these terms, we're going to define it now as <clears throat> just the verb of being both past tense, future tense, 
present tense, and just say any sex before marriage is wrong, whether you do end up getting married or not. Um, So that's the definition of is. The definition of sex, well, you would think pretty straightforward, but does that include, and, and this talk, I will talk later about boundaries. That, that is a very huge topic. How far is too far? Uh, oral sex, anal sex. Uh, what about how far is too far? Um, I'm going to define it as anything with the word sex in it. I'm going to define it, and, and we'll talk about boundaries later. And maybe just a general defining as fornication or sexual immorality. Those are the words used in the context of the New Testament. And so that's, I guess, the definition we'll use. And we'll have a talk about boundaries a little later. What about the word before? Um, A lot of people are like, you might be thinking, Joe, you're being way too literal, being way too specific here. It's like, yeah, that's that's my gift to the world. Um, (laughs) What about the word before? Sex before marriage wrong. Well, some people would define the before as like, well, what about uh, the difference between before versus alongside of at the same time as marriage? And th- some people would say, well, adultery's wrong, but sex before marriage, if both people are not married to someone else, then, then is that wrong? The, the Bible, some people would say this, I'm not saying this, but some people would say, well, the Bible's really clear about adultery, but the Bible isn't that clear about just sex before marriage. And we'll, so we need to talk about that. We need to define that. So I'm just defining terms. I am playing the devil's advocate right now. If you're like, whoa, what's he saying? Not really saying anything yet. I'm just defining terms, talking about the question. And then what about marriage? How do you define marriage? It's like, you're like, duh. But then you just take, take a step back and you're like, well... What about, uh, and we have a meeting every month, we call it Think Tank, the, the leaders of Mill Sunday School get together and talk about the, the, what we're going to talk about this month, and, and so Aaron and Higgins was there, Annalise Higgins was there, Sean was there, Dan Glass was there, uh, Sasha was there, and we started talking about, like, how do we define marriage? How does our state define marriage? How does Christian church define marriage? Someone brought up the idea of, oh, what about common law marriage? What is that? And so Aaron Higgins pulled out his phone. It was like, we were researching common law marriage. And we found out that if two people, so this is just the state of Colorado. And I'm just saying this. I'm not commenting on it. It's, it but I will comment. It's, it's very interesting. Um, if two people <clears throat> want to get married, you don't even have to have a ceremony. Did you know that? You could just say you're married and if you say you're married in your community, your friends, family, they all say you, mar- you are married, then guess what? <laughs> like, no ceremony. And we were even talking about, like, oh, in Colorado, did you know that you can marry yourself? And, of course, me being very literal, I was like, well, actually, you can't marry yourself. It has to be another person. <laughs> It's like, no, you, can, you, could, you don't need an officiant in your ceremony. And maybe some of you didn't know that. You're like, you could just go, two of you could go outside, inside, and do your own ceremony without anyone else. And that would be considered a marriage. And the common law marriage thing, you could look it up for yourself. I did find it very interesting. So if you say you're married, your friends all think you're married, you're married as far as Colorado is concerned, and to end that marriage, you would have to have, get a divorce uh, once you start filing taxes as a married couple or custody, or you would have to get a divorce after you said you were married and all your community said you were married. It's a pretty weird thing. Um, 
But what are we defining as marriage? Well, if I had to define marriage, I'd say uh, the definition would be you and your community. So you, the two of you and your community do recognize a life commitment to one another. And that could be with a ceremony that's before God and your family. I think that's the way uh, I see it as best and as, as intended. It could be a Braveheart wedding where it's just you, the, the wife, and uh, the, the guy, the girl, and the priest. Uh, it could be, um, I guess, as far as the government is concerned, uh, it doesn't even have to have a ceremony. But the, our definition for marriage is when you and your community uh, recognize that life commitment to each other. And finally, the last word, to, to totally just tear apart this question and to think about it, to analyze it, maybe overanalyze it, uh, you might accuse me of. That's fine. Um, what is the definition of wrong? Would you say it's, oh, it's just unhealthy for you? Or would you, I think we, as Christians, and this is how I'm going to define it, as an act of sin against our Creator. You say, well, it's not just an unhealthy thing. It's not just a, a bad thing. But it's, it's, it's really, in our definition of what wrong is, we as Christians would say, oh, the definition of wrong has to do with our creator and going against his will. And so I want to take a second and uh, we are going to look at the text of scripture. That's where we're going. That is the uh, kind of the, the most important part of this morning's lesson. But I want to take a second and just um, ask a non-biblical approach. Um, so maybe a little bit in line with kind of playing the devil's advocate, just a little bit. Um, what if we're not Christians? What reasons could we have for saying that sex before marriage is wrong. So pretend for a second, I'm going to give you this as a discussion question. Um, And if you're on the fence about Christianity, you don't have to pretend. You could just talk. Um, But pretend you're not a Christian, um, if you you are, and just kind of talk, okay, society speaking, the world speaking, psychologically speaking, here's the discussion question. So at your table, outside of biblical arguments— so, and, and this is actually important for us to do sometimes as Christians. If we talk with people who are non-Christians, which is probably maybe depending on wh- what you do for a job or where you go to school, maybe it's the majority of people you talk to um, outside of this building are non-Christians. Um, when you're talking to them and you, let's say you bring up the topic of sex before marriage and you say, well, the Bible says sex before marriage is wrong. A non-believer, a non-Christian would say, well, I don't, I, we're starting at different places here. I don't believe in your book. So therefore, you know, the whole argument that the Bible says something is like, well, I don't really care. But outside of Bible arguments, biblical arguments, why save sex for marriage? So in your groups, discuss that question. At this point, we're not going to bring up the text of Scripture. We will, and it will be the most important part of what we do this morning. But for right now, outside of b- biblical arguments, why save sex for marriage? Ready? Get set. Discuss. All right, I I do have a microphone here. I would love uh, for some of you to respond, for all of us to hear. Maybe you said something at your table that was interesting, or someone at your table said something that was interesting or good for all of us to think about or consider. So the question again, outside of biblical arguments, why save sex for marriage? Does anybody want to get us started? Okay, I got Jordan and Aaron over here. Okay. Mr. Aaron Higgins. So there are studies showing that those that have two or fewer sexual partners in their lifetime typically live longer lives, that their children are really? typically more, more psychologically balanced because um, they grow up in a secure nurturing environment versus an environment um, where they're not sure where their parent's going to be or, or someone new is uh, introduced into their lives. 
So there's a psychological component to this as well. Um, there's some of the more obvious ones that I'll let other people hit on. Okay, good. So a very big approach, like family, marriage, psychological ideas. Mr. Burton, and then Josh, I'll get you down here. Okay. Well, just from a practical standpoint, it would um, saving yourself would prevent or would lower the cases of STDs. <laughs> Right, and very true. Did anyone else at the table say that? Just as like, well, duh, option. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Good, thank you. Yes, Mr. Josh. Uh, we discussed that um, on a kind of whole person level, you know, emotionally, physically, and spiritually, um, it would be better because, it, as it says, it, you know, it says in the Bible, the two become one flesh. Uh-huh. That actually, I mean, that's that's real. There's, yeah. And so having multiple partners, you take on the baggage, uh, you know, the emotional baggage, the, the emotional um, problems, psychological problems. You, you give yourself to that other person. So giving yourself to multiple people tends to degrade yourself. yourself. Okay. I see some other hands out there. Um, at the, I'll, I'll give it to my friend Nate Roker. You get to do the last. I see. It's, it's interesting. Like some discussion questions, I, I give them, and like no one wants to respond. And then this one, I thought, who would want to raise their hand and talk about sex? <laughs> to everyone, apparently. <laughs> so my thought was, from a non-biblical standpoint, why save yourself from marriage? Well, to answer a question with the question, the whole thought of sex is sport before your marriage in mm-hmm. our culture, then why all of a sudden when you get married outside of a Christian culture, yeah. is sex wrong with someone else? Yeah. So my thought would be sex would be wrong before marriage because it's still wrong with anyone else outside of your partner after you're married. Yeah. So, so just yeah. on a linear viewpoint, I found, I found if I can have sex with whoever I want, why can't I still have sex with whoever I want when I'm married? What makes it yeah. obviously wrong all of a sudden? Yeah. It makes, uh, makes perfect sense to me. Like if our society does say, oh, as soon as you get married, well, then that's your wife, that's your husband. Adultery is wrong from a, from a society, even a non-biblical standpoint. Well, then why wouldn't that still be the case before marriage? Good point. So here we have talked uh, through this question, is sex before marriage? Hopefully we've defined it in such a way that it's maybe overly defined now. Um, we talked about non-biblical, uh, outside of biblical arguments. And so now really the most important part of, of our discussion today. And I, I, I did find this interesting stat. Like so, so taking a step back to where we just were talking about psychological ideas of why uh, sex before marriage might be wrong. It's, psychology is, is, a, is a science. There's always new data coming out. And over the years, if you look at what psychology has said about sexuality or just anything, um, it's changed over the years. Um, in fact, uh, a guy named, uh, what was his name? I put it on my, the, uh, I put it on another slide, sorry. A guy by the name, I think it's David or Brian Hebb, uh, neuroscience uh, psychologist. He said that the half-life of Everything we know in psychology is about five years. What does that mean? The half-life, it means that half of everything we now know, what psychologists teach now, the methods, the practices psychologists do now, about half of that, according to this guy, will be considered wrong in five years. 
which is kind of interesting. There's changing, it's the idea that science, we do have new data coming in, and psychology is a very uh, open field for new data and growing of psychological knowledge and what we know about the human experience. And so psychology is changing. Let's rest on something that isn't as changing. And we as Christians would say the word of God, what we believe is unchanging. The text of scripture, the canon of scripture, Let's look at the Bible. The Bible, the the reason why I put the Bible on the cover of our notes today is that we want to ask this question, is sex before marriage wrong in the context of Scripture? We could rely on psychology studies. We could rely on sociological studies. We could rely on physical data and STDs. And I could show you pictures of clamdidia or whatever. Um, Inside joke, never mind. Um, But let's rest upon Scripture. If we as Christians truly believe that that God is real, that our Creator is the Creator of all things, and according to Him, He decides what is right and what is wrong, well then let's look at the text of Scripture. Let's pinpoint some things. I have a couple Scriptures that I wanted to bring forward and show you. And before I go into this, I have been playing the devil's advocate. I have been overly just defining the question, is sex before marriage wrong? So you might be looking at me like, well, what what do you think? Well, let me tell you, and then we'll go into it. I I do think that the Bible is very clear. I, I hope to show you that with these few verses, that the Bible is very clear on this issue that sex before marriage is not what God would have, is, is in fact, by definition of not what God would want, sin, by definition, it is wrong. So sex before marriage is wrong, just to declare that. And, and now I will show you, hopefully through these pretty clear scriptures, what uh, scripture says. And we could go all the way back to the Ten Commandments. There's ten of them. The seventh one is, thou shalt not commit adultery. And you're like, okay, well, that, that should settle the issue. If you go to Exodus is chapter 20, look at the Ten Commandments, most important commandments that God gives Moses for the people of Israel. Number seven was do not commit adultery. So that should settle the issue. Um, you're like, okay, well, adultery would be sex outside of marriage. And if you aren't married to that person, well, then, duh, it would be wrong. It'd be adultery. But there is this argument that uh, Christians make. And they say, well, what if the people aren't married yet? Does the Bible ever talk about that? And they'd say, oh, of course, sex outside of marriage. If you're married, sex with anyone else besides your husband or your wife would be wrong. But what about before marriage? Does the Bible have anything to say about that? So yeah, just a couple pages after Exodus chapter 20, there's laws from the Lord to Moses for the people of Israel about uh, lots of things, including sex before marriage. And this is, we have to realize that the Bible is written in a different time. And next week, we're going to talk about sex in the Bible, like look at sexuality in biblical times, both Old and New Testament. In case you're wondering what we're going to talk about next week, that is where we're going. So Exodus chapter 20, verse 16 says, if a man seduces a virgin who is, be, who is not betrothed, uh, so it's, this is before marriage, um, and lies with her, he shall give her the bride price the bride price for her, and make her his wife. It's like, oh, that's interesting. And that's, in some ways, a different world than what we live in. Like, what's a bride price? Well, that's, it's a different culture. It's a different time. But the gist of what is being said here is, I think you can see it for yourself. If, if two people, before they're married, are just casually having sex for the fun of it, well, well this verse 
on top of Exodus chapter 20, where the Ten Commandments do not commit adultery, this verse is like, well, that should not be. Sex is for marriage, and so if a wrong has been committed, and it seems like a wrong has been committed here if a man seduces a virgin, well then part of making it right would be to pay the bride price for her and make her his wife. We'll talk a little bit more about this specifically and within the times of the Bible, sex at Bible times next week. But this, this is, I don't know, if all we had were Genesis 20, the Ten Commandments, number seven being do not commit adultery, and then this verse about like, well, if you have sex before your marriage, part of making it right would be you, you, could this consideration of marriage. You can't just have sex casually with multiple partners without getting married. Like, it's the consideration of, of what it means to, to have sex before marriage. Here we go. So another verse, New Testament. These are the words of Jesus. Jesus is talking about, uh, it's in this context of cleanliness, and the Pharisees are accusing Jesus of not washing his hands ceremonially before a meal. And Jesus says, well, it's not, you know, it's not the washing of your hands that makes you clean. It's for what comes out of you that makes you clean. For out of Matthew fifteen nineteen. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. This is the King James Version here. Um, and I wanted to, to note that it, it does, if there's any doubt that, that, that there's this idea of uh, sex outside of marriage, sex before marriage being a different thing, well, Jesus seems to list both here. Adulteries being sex outside of marriage, fornications, that's this Greek word porneia, um, it's the NIV translated as, translates it as sexual immorality. I think it's pretty clear here that, that if, if you come to the text of Scripture, and I have heard Christians say this, so hopefully this is a correction, and it may be very challenging you for you, for some of you today, that um, would say, oh, sex before marriage isn't bad. It's only sex outside of marriage that is bad. Well, Jesus is using both words here, adultery and then fornication, Fornication is sex outside, or sex is sex just without marriage. That's the word, sexual immorality, fornication. Going on, continuing in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 6, Paul's writing to the Corinthians, just flee from sexual immorality. Flee, f- flee from it. It's interesting that Paul in Corinthians says, stand firm, the, these different sins. When it comes to this sin, stand firm. When it comes to this sin, stand firm. When it comes to sex, get the heck out of there. Don't even... Don't make a state. Just get out. Flee. Be like Joseph uh, in the story of the Old Testament, uh, Potiphar's wife. Just get out of there. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits, as Paul writes, is outside of the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. So the, the word here isn't adultery. It's, it's simply fornication, just sex, just outside the, the bounds of marriage, fornication. That, that's uh, in the King James Fornication is sex without marriage of any kind. Here, the NIV, or the ESV, excuse me, is, uses the terms sexual immorality. Another verse, uh, second to last, that I'm going to use, and there's plenty of others as well. Uh, Hebrews 13, 4, let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulteress. It's like, here's this separation, this idea of, well, there's adultery, sex outside of marriage, and then there's sexually immoral. And God, God will judge that. Sexually immoral, the King James fornication, the Greek por- porneia, it's just any sex without the, the bond of marriage. And so I think the only reason why we hear, I hear as a pastor, 
uh, sometimes people, Christians, not just people, Christians saying, well, sex, you know, before your marriage isn't that big of a deal, is because it's, it's something you just want to harden your heart to and just not really look at Scripture. They might say, well, where in the Bible does it actually say? Well, I just, I just showed some verses. One more. Genesis two twenty four. Therefore, a man shall leave his mother and his father. His father, uh, let me start over. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And this is going way back to Genesis 2. Jesus quotes this verse in talking about sexuality and marriage and divorce. I, uh, that's the sweet quote of today. Jesus is saying, haven't you read that the Creator made them male and female? For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. This act of marriage, the bond of marriage, and the act of sex are uniting, becoming one flesh between two people. Um, And so to conclude, we'll end a little early today. I realize that this message today, talking about it so uh, candidly here, um, and asking the question, is sex before marriage wrong? I realize that there's probably a lot of you in the room that are like, eh, I don't know. You came in the room thinking, eh, it's not that bad. Or maybe you had uh, just arguments for like, oh, it's out, you know, adultery is different than sex before marriage. Hopefully I've explained it pretty clearly through the, just these few verses. It's like, well, it is wrong. But I wanted to conclude with this idea of, well, well why is it wrong? And it, it's this idea that this covenant relationship that is throughout the Bible, in different ways, between God and human beings, between different human beings, between a man and a woman, this idea of covenant or promise or specifically lifelong covenant when it comes to marriage. In 1 Corinthians 7, uh, Paul talks and says, because there is sexual immorality occurring and going on, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman her own husband. And so I wanted to to restate, if anybody ever asks you, Hey, is sex wrong? Your quick answer to that should be, no, sex is not wrong. It's like someone comes up to you and says, hey, is eating food wrong? No, no, it's not wrong. But there are circumstances, let's say if you've committed to fast and you're eating a huge chocolate cake during your fast, that that could be wrong. Or if you're overeating or using food in a way to to pacify, to... uh, just cover over, I don't know, emotional depress. If you're depressed, you say, well, that's not healthy. That's not right. Or the sin of gluttony is a sin. But our first response to, is, hey, is eating wrong? No. Are you, are you dumb? No, of course not. God made it. It's awesome. It's, it's wonderful. I think our, our response should be, like, quickly, hey, is sex wrong? No, God made it. It's beautiful. It's awesome. But it's within the confines of a marriage bond. And, and to reread that verse that I just read, because there is sexual immorality occurring, each man should have his own wife, and each wife should have her own husband. And to go back to this idea of the rose, to conclude, that we started off with this idea of the rose, if you came in late, this idea of who would want the rose, the, the analogy that, that youth pastors uh, I've seen use personally, but then the example that I used uh, of, of, of a youth pastor you're smelling this rose and saying, oh, this rose is beautiful. It represents our sexual purity. Everyone smell this rose. And it gets passed around and it comes back and it's tattered and it's broken. It's missing petals. And then the, the question, who would want this rose now? Who would want it? And, and the, 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 
the answer is supposed to be, oh, no one would want that horrible rose that's been beaten up and tattered. But to turn that on its head and say, Jesus wants that rose. Jesus wants our shame. And so I'm sure uh, that there's so many of us in here that have broken pasts or a history um, or just a story of, of things that we have been through, um, just our, I guess our sexual history of where you've been. And there, maybe there's a lot of shame. Maybe there's a lot of just feelings of impurity. If that's the case, who wants you? Well, Jesus wants you. Jesus is going to cover your shame. Jesus is going to cover you, make you white as snow. And it, it starts with forgiveness, prayers to him, confessing sin, um, asking him to cover you, and reading scriptures about how you're worth. You are worth. You are not your mistake. You are a son and a daughter of God when you give yourself to him, and he makes all things new and pure. And so I wanted to start with that. I wanted to close with that today as we begin this month of, of sexuality. And so next week we'll talk about sex in Bible times. Um, but let's pray. Let's, let's, let's bow our heads and come before a holy God, our creator. And God, we say to you that you are good. You are holy. You are creator. You've created all things, our bodies. You've created sexuality. You've created sex. Lord, you, you have made it in such a way that it is a beautiful thing, an awesome thing, and it has been, uh, of course, broken by this world. It's been tainted and made unpure, and it's been made a shameful thing because of the circumstances of this world being corrupted. But Lord, we give it over to you. We say that you have full reign in our hearts to, to make us new, to recreate, to make awesome our, our history, our sexuality, our bodies. So Lord, we give, it, we give it over to you. We say that we are yours, all of us, every part of us is yours. We love you, we praise you. And everybody said, amen. All right, friends, we're ending just a tad early, so meet someone you don't know. Go over to big church together. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Mill Sunday School podcast. You can find more information at www.themillonline.org.